I was in really rough shape when I got here. Really rough shape. I think I was just finally sufficiently, you know, it was the lowest point in my life. You know, I've, I came here to get sober because I just didn't want to die. This is Casting Light, stories of recovery and hope here at Guiding Light. I'm Phil Tower, your host for this episode, episode number two of the Casting Light podcast, a new podcast from the people at Guiding Light. And it is going to be featuring, every episode will feature people who are here at Guiding Light with um, some pretty powerful stories to tell. It's a real honor and pleasure to join you on this episode, along with our guest, Doug Pansy. Doug is a media specialist with Guiding Light here in uh, beautiful downtown Grand Rapids. Doug, great to have you here. Great to be here, Phil. Thanks for having me. I have to get in a little special word for those listening that we have a very special match for the month of July. This is July 2021. If you're listening in July of 2022, uh, you can... Uh, just pretend that this was July of 2021. Uh, we have a donor offering a very generous match, a $10,000 match. We're going to talk about how you can take advantage of that later in this podcast, but you can certainly learn more at guidinglightworks.org forward slash give. That was a really bad tease uh, because I basically gave it all away. But most importantly, uh, on this episode, we're going to talk with Doug Pansy, a media specialist with Guiding Light. He is directly involved with this podcast, but you're not here because of that. You're here because you have gone through the recovery program here at Guiding Light, which means at some point before that, you had an addiction, you had mm -hmm. substance abuse problem. Talk about mm -hmm. your story. What was, what was the before Guiding Light life for Doug? Well, I was born, uh, I was born in West Michigan. I went to Grand Haven High School. I started using drugs when I was about 13, 14 years old. And ever since then, it's pretty much been off to the races for me. I caught a felony charge when I was 17 for uh, possession of a controlled substance. And uh, that kind of dashed all my little, you know, hopes and, dream <laughs> hopes and dreams or whatever you want to call it. I didn't really have any hopes and dreams, really. But, mm. you know, that's kind of when I uh, my life really kind of started spiraling out of control. And... Mm -hmm. um, you know, luckily I had really supportive parents and whatnot. You know, when I turned, I remember when I, so I was using, um, I was using drugs really heavily in high school and cocaine and pills and, okay. um, which were easy to get. Yeah. You know, from other classmates. Well, you know, the thing is back then, you know, uh, marijuana used to be so, you know, it was as illegal as everything else was. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, you get, you go into the weed dealer's place and then, He's got Coke and he's got Xanax right. and he's got all the other stuff. So it's like, well, why not? And I was just an extremely, I think my biggest issue was that I was an extremely reckless kid. Um, you know, I had a real a problem with authority okay. and a real rebellious complex. And, you know, I was just like, I had this attitude of like, whatever, I don't care if I die. Um, I'll try anything once and, you know. <laughs> so an average day when you were like full on addicted, as a 17-year-old. Yeah. I mean, you went to school most you, of the time or some of the time? I skipped like like 70% of my senior year. I f frankly don't even know how I graduated. Um, I had to go to um, – I, I, you know, I think it's because 
I will say the Grand Haven area public school system is very supportive of uh, privileged young kids like me, <laughs> where uh, they pretty much just kind of sent me through and gave me my degree. And, right. you know, I'm really grateful for that. But, you know, yeah. um, but, you know, I would, yeah, I was, I, I don't really, uh, if I'm being honest, I don't really remember that much. Do you remember when you said you started using when you were 13? Yeah. Do you remember what? Made you wake up one day and say, "I want to get high," or I just want to escape how I'm feeling. I, you know, like I had always been. You know, that's an interesting, that's an important thing you touch on because, like, when I look back, um, always my you know issues with addiction and alcoholism were always rooted in a need to escape who I was. Um, I've all even well before I was using, I was always really uncomfortable in my own skin. And um, really didn't like myself ever. Um, and I remember, you know, starting to smoke marijuana and stuff like that. Uh, is I was it was like kind of an epiphany to me. It's like, oh, I can change how I feel about this. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know, just from, from you know, there's a genetic component I think to addiction and a social component, or whatever. And mm -hmm. I think I got both of those. You know, um. So you had an, other people in your family were that were addicts. I think I no nobody in my d direct family. Apparently, uh, I think there's some other people in my extended family who are alcoholics. But mm -hmm. um, um, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I mean, I you know that's the big thing that really drove me down. Like, mm -hmm. I remember the, you know, I never really you know, I had a problem to the extent that became started to become significantly unmanageable until I remember when I turned 21 and it was just off to the races because like, believe it or not, before you're 21, like it's actually harder. It was harder for me to get alcohol than it was for me to get drugs. Yeah. And, um, but when I turned 21 and I could start doing that on my own, um, I was, you know, I had my first seizure from alcohol withdrawal when I was 22. Mm. I, uh, I got a DUI when I was 22 or 23, I think, from – I was four times the legal limit. Um, I, you know, very quickly – you know, I'm also the kind of alcoholic that uh, I wasn't social or anything like that. Uh, I would lock myself in I, – I liked locking myself in rooms and just basically drinking myself to death. All right. So you weren't violent. You weren't – you weren't out of control. You just, you wanted to escape. Shut yeah. the door, lock the door, and that was it. Yeah, you know, uh, I think most people would say I was a pretty nice guy during the time. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, yeah, I really hated myself, you know. Yeah. I look back on it, and, like, that was a major driver for what addiction was. And yeah. you'll a lot of people will say that, you know. Yeah. Um, which is hard to imagine because you're a, you are a, on the surface, you look like a guy who's got it all together, and if I passed you in the street, I'd, I'd say, number one, I'm jealous because that guy's got a lot better hair than I do. Um, and he's a good-looking young man, but you were hiding that all. I mean, that was, yeah. that, was all, that was all an act. And you said, you know, coming from a background of privilege, you're in, a, you're in a, a good school district. Your parents through this time, what was that like? I mean, were they feeling... Hopeless in trying to get you help, or was that in? Were you interacting, or were you just totally away from them? Um, I mean, I credit my parents uh, the fact that um, they never gave up on me with uh, yeah. uh, with why I'm alive today. That being said, you know, I uh, at my parents' insistence after I had a after I had my first seizure uh, from alcohol withdrawal, 
uh, when I was 22. I, I went to Pine Rest uh, for detoxing. I was there a couple of days. But like I said, it was at their insistence. I had no intentions whatsoever of getting sober, staying sober. I think around that time I was aware that I certainly had a problem. But, um, you know, uh, you know, I'm 29 today. I got sober when I was 27. Um, so it took me a long time of, uh, of struggling. Because you said you were 22 when you had your first seizure yeah. from withdrawal. Yeah. So that was another five years of heavy yeah. drinking. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And drugs along the way? Yeah. Um, and your parents didn't give up? No. Is that, I mean, if you look at this, Doug, on the other end, you think, and it is such a blessing because so many other parents would say, okay, we're done. Yeah. I mean, my dad would tell me these conversations. He would, you know, because he would talk to other people who, um, you know, for advice, like, what do I do with my son? You know, I've got five other brothers and sisters. None of them have this problem. You know what I mean? They were like, what do they do with me? And um, yeah. a lot, he remember, I remember him telling me, a lot of people told him just to kick me out, uh, to stop enabling me, which they were doing in retrospect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but I'm grateful that they didn't. And that might be contrary to some advice that you hear a lot Yeah, when it comes to addiction. And, you know, I know it's tricky, but like I said, I kind of, I'm not sure I would be alive today if it wasn't for them. You know, I got to tell you, Doug, it, it, everybody does say you're not supposed to enable kids, but every story is different. Yeah. And yours worked out. Yeah. By the grace of God, yours worked out. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about what brought you in the door here at Gutting Life. Mm -hmm. what, what was the deciding reason, the deciding factor, and you were, what, 27 at the time? Yeah. Um, what happened? You know, I think one of the big reasons why I kept my addiction going for so long was because on the surface I was able to maintain this identity of somebody who was getting their life back together or something like yeah. that. So I was, I was working full-time. I started going back to school when I was 24, uh, to Muskegon Community College, and then uh, I transferred to Eastern Michigan University. So I was over there. I was a history major. Um, I got really good grades. I was working. I was working full time as a bartender. I was a full time student. You know, um, I was really, you know, on the outside, you were successful. Something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I was drinking all day, every day, but like, you know, and I was also addicted to Adderall and to a bunch of other stuff. But I mean, like. You know, I, I was able to, like, justify the fact that I was very clearly an alcoholic, but, mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm improving myself, I'm, you know, doubling down, I'm working hard, which I genuinely was. Right. Um, so that was justifying the reason to keep drinking. Yeah, you know, I didn't need to get better, you know. Um, I, I, you know, I remember telling myself a lot that, like, at some point I'm going to have to get sober, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's just I didn't want to die. Uh, young, you know, I didn't want to do that, but, um, you know, I, I remember the turning point we, you know, was I, uh, pretty much like my, so obviously burning the, burning the candle at both ends like that, you know, can't sustain itself. So, you know, 27, I got kicked out of, uh, the, the place I was living in. Um, I pretty much stopped caring about school and, uh, I moved back, I moved back to, uh, to live back with my parents again mm -hmm. and with the intention of like, okay, I'm going to move back to this side of the state and I'm going to get sober. So I did that and I was really gung ho about it, you know, and I moved back here. 
I moved back in with my parents and I checked myself into Pine Rest, the very same place where I had gone, you know, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I drove myself there and, you know, I was really serious about doing this. And, you know, I stayed sober a week after I left, you know. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I was out drinking again. I had another seizure again. This was probably, I think, my fourth or my fifth seizure or something in my lifetime. And then um, I went back, this time quite a bit more hopeless, but still willing to try to actually get sober. Going back to Pine Rest. Going back to Pine Rest, the, the same one. Uh, get out, and I'm drinking the next day. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm back, you know, and I'm in my parents' basement. <laughs> And I'm just like all of, you know, that five years of me working, you know, working hard and like, you know, this illusion that I had that I'm getting my life back together or something like that. Here I am back at square one again. And um, I was just completely desperate. I I met a guy at Pine Rest who told me about this place. I knew that I knew I needed a longer term solution. So what brought you eventually to Guiding Light? So I looked up Guiding Light and I f- tried to figure out what it was. And then I tried to get in touch with uh, our in- the intake manager here and tried to schedule coming in here. And and uh, then I, I checked myself into detox one more time with the intention of coming straight here. And, um, you know, that last time in detox, I remember, uh, you know, that was my last hurrah. So I remember I was blowing, you know, I had alcohol in my system for 48 hours after I got there still. Wow. and. Uh, they had to call the doctor to get permission to start giving me Valium so I wouldn't, you know. Uh, and um, I was in really rough shape when I got here. Yeah. Really rough shape. I think I was just finally sufficiently, you know, it was the lowest point of my life. But you had had, you had made the decision. It wasn't your parents yeah. who just shoved you out the door. Yeah. You came here on your I own. I can genuinely say that, yeah. Wow. Best decision you ever made? Yeah. For sure. And when did you know, Doug, when did you know as you went through the recovery here, when did you know it was finally going to stick? Was there a day and a point? Um, you know, it was like when I, when I came here, I was just so bewildered. Yeah, rightfully so. Right. You know, like it's, you're trying to come out of the, the fog of, of, you know, very heavy alcoholism. Um, but you know, I, I, there was a specific moment. I remember, um, I, I like, I like that the program here, uh, I had to get a sponsor real quick or, uh, within my first 30 days or they're going to kick me out. And I never wanted to do that because I hate people. Um, (laughs) but, (laughs) but not, it's not so much anymore, but like, I never wanted to do that, but I got, so I got a sponsor on like my 29th day here. And then, um, we worked together and I didn't like him and he didn't like me. And (laughs) we're actually like really good friends now. But, but, uh, I remember I'd been here probably about two months or something like that. And we have to call them every night here when you're in the program. And I was talking to him one night and I'm just kind of recounting of what my day was like and blah, 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 and what I did. And, you know, and and he told me that, like, you know, Doug, if you, you know, if you keep this up, you're probably going to stay sober. And for me, that was like a big turning point where it's like, you know, because even when I was here, I had, I didn't think it was possible 
for me to stay sober right. a, a year, let alone, you know, two months or something like that. But hearing that voice from your sponsor, uh-huh. just that little bit of encouragement. Yeah. It wasn't, hey, it's going to happen. It was probably. Yeah. That that was, I that's mean, that's an important distinction because it's yeah. like, because it's like, yeah, at no point did I consider that honestly a remote possibility. Yeah. Um, of actually being one of these people that actually is able to stay sober. You know, I've, I came here to get sober because I just didn't want to die. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, well, and that's quite honestly, Doug, for people listening, there are a lot of people who, do want to die, and yeah. that's the only reason they get here, or they don't make it because yeah. they're successful. Yeah, sadly, at uh, ending their own lives. Yeah, um, it's here. We are in 2021. You are working as a media specialist, and I can say making a, a big difference in the programs and what happened in, in chronicling what happens here at Guiding Light. That's got to be pretty empowering. Uh, I love it. You went from a history major to now uh, an expert at everything audio, video, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. was that all self-taught? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the whole um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to mess around making videos and stuff like that. And like my interest in this job started when I was in the program because I was I was here two months, and then that's when all the COVID stuff started happening, yeah, right? Yeah. So I was the house manager at the time. So I happened to have a cell phone, and I remember my boss, uh, Starla, uh, was asking uh, some guys in the program if we could get like some video or something of what's going on inside the building because yeah. nobody was allowed in here. It was yeah. literally the inmates running the asylum. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so she so she wanted some footage or whatnot, and I was just. You know, I've always been kind of creatively inclined or whatever. And, you know, being in this program, they teach you to really put yourself out there and throw, you know, throw around your boundaries and, and whatnot. So I had the cell phone. I had this crappy laptop with, like, Windows Movie Maker on it. And um, I started putting together little, you know, minute-long videos or something. And cool. Yeah. I look back on that and, you know, as crappy as they as they look, I'm like, <laughs> given the conditions I was working under, I'm pretty proud of it, you know. Well, and not only that... It's such a great thing because, like you said, there are people, even away from COVID, just curious, what's life like inside Gutting Life? What's, inside rehab, what's it like? Yeah. yeah, inside rehab. Yeah. And like you said, the uh, you know we're, we're running the place. Yeah. Um, people are curious. They want to know. They want to feel, you know, that they want to see those stories of recovery happening in real life. And yeah. that's, that's, really, that's really cool. It's, it's the really most powerful. fun I've ever had in my, in my entire life was here. The hardest I've ever laughed. The you know. Do you remember what that was? What, what made you laugh the hardest? I don't think I can say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take your word for it. Yeah. Something that's uh, not safe for sensitive ears. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Doug Pansy is a media specialist here at Guiding Light, and one of the amazing stories of recovery and hope that you are going to hear on this Casting Light podcast. Uh, we talk about this because it's important, you know, that Doug didn't have to sign away his life and, you know, his next four grandkids. These services of recovery here at Guiding Light are provided at no charge to anyone who walks in the door who says, I need help. I'm an addict. There's no charge. And it is $300 a day on average for each person to receive care at Guiding Light. And for the month of July... 2021, 
If you're listening to this podcast, we have got a great opportunity, a $10,000 match from a very generous and to be considered anonymous donor, a $10,000 match. So that means any donation during the month of July 2021 is doubled. Your $100 becomes $200 and so on. And we want to encourage you to take advantage of that. GuidingLightWorks.org forward slash give. GuidingLightWorks.org forward slash give. So you can continue to hear these amazing stories of recovery and hope, just like Doug Pansy's. I got to tell you, man, your your story is pretty amazing because you you at so many points it looks like you're going to get there and you didn't, but you did. And you know the old adage of you know never ever 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 quit. Yeah, it's pretty simple, right? It was that. Yeah. It was that was your thing. And the thing I really love, and I want to close with this, is that Doug, there are going to be a lot of parents, maybe donors. Um, maybe people who've never heard of God in Light who stumbled upon this mm-hmm. podcast, and they're going to hear this story, and it's going to give them hope that maybe what they're doing, because they've been getting yelled at by everybody else saying, don't yeah. enable the kid, don't enable the yeah. kid. There's not a right way to do this. No, there isn't. And you just proved that. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Another story of recovery and hope. That's what this podcast is all about. It's Casting Light. I'm Phil Tower. Remember to find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening.